Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I thought this clip was so important on MSNBC because often you hear the the phrase, they said the quiet part out loud. And you're about to learn why there's such a thing as unindicted co-conspirators. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, um, you have this now, and I've discussed it today, this report showing the, showing the full list of who the Georgia special grand jury wanted to press charges against. And we know that there were, you know, you've got 19 people that you've decided to bring together under a, a, a RICO, I call it a RICO predicate, uh, a, 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 as a RICO case, a racketeering case, you don't really have anything against Trump regarding uh, the Georgia election. But you figure you go after everybody, maybe you can get one person, you can get one thing that they're guilty of, and therefore you make it about everybody. Ha ha, we got Trump. There it is. It's, I believe it is overreach. I believe it is, it is gross. Um, but not only did uh, you, you saw the list of people we already know, whether it's President Trump, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, uh, the lawyer John Eastman, uh, the former chief of staff Mark Meadows, who all uh, were, were indicted. The unindicted people, charges recommended Lindsey Graham, the senator, former Senator David Perdue, former Senator Ke- Kelly Loeffler, uh, Lynn Wood, uh, the, the, the lawyer, Michael Flynn, former Trump advisor. This list is is very, very long, including fake GOP electors, including the current uh, Georgia Lieutenant Governor, Burt Jones. Now, when there was the conversation about unindicted co-conspirators, is this who they were referring to? That what you did is you created a situation, uh, uh, William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professors discussed this, uh, uh, others uh, now the Republican Party is afraid to talk to each other because they don't know who's unindicted and who isn't. If they have a conversation, that conversation might then get wrapped up in this. And so and so now you're really interfering with an election in, in the view of some people, and you're really, really keeping people from being able to engage. Well, this was on um, MSNBC, and I want you to hear this back and forth regarding what it means to be the unindicted co-conspirator. I mean, the grand jury receiving evidence from or involving 75 witnesses during the course of the investigation. Katie Fang, what do you think this says to Donald Trump? It says to Donald Trump, I'd be nervous because not only did Donald Trump create an environment where these were willing participants, let me be very clear, but he created an environment where now people have been indicted alongside him. Because in the January 6th case, um, you see just him standing alone with six unindicted co-conspirators and they kind of, you know, had a sigh of relief. But then when Fannie Willis brought these charges through this grand jury indictment that we eventually saw a few weeks ago, the people that were in his orbit, they got indicted, too. And again, not because they were just patsies and following along with what he wanted, but they were active co-conspirators that had their own criminal liability. I would be nervous if I'm Donald Trump because now, as I've noted, there are a lot of people here that are going to be witnesses against him. 
I would be nervous if I was Donald Trump. Isn't this the whole point? And I don't know if the man ever gets nervous. Isn't this the whole point? Just start naming everybody so you can utilize anyone. Now, maybe I'm utilizing the wrong term as unindicted co-conspirator. But when you see this list, you realize just exactly how deep they're willing to go. And the objective is to try and make everyone nervous. This is the rule of law. This is something completely different. I'm Tony Katz. The NFL season has begun, and when the Lions beat the Chiefs 21-20, to you know that all things are possible. Like, for example, the Lions going 5-12. and Sorry. Sorry. History is on my side. Don't tell me about the Dan Campbell error just yet. Anybody can win just one. If Matt Sarah can be a UFC champion, anything is possible. That's a nice poll. By the way, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find it all at TonyKatz.com. JMV joins us from 93.51075. The fan, he is the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, and and never mind uh, the game uh, last last night. And uh, uh, look, the Lions are for real. They, they can actually do something. They've got an offense. They've got a defense. They've got a coach who will fake a, a punt inside his own 20. You got to love every single uh, a bit of it, but first look is Colts Jaguars in Indianapolis on a Sunday. The Colts desperate to win a first game of a season in Lord knows how many years with its now eighth or ninth starting quarterback in as in as many years, or maybe it's only five or six. Um, how is this team looking? How is this team feeling? Has anything changed in the past week? Because the last we spoke, you're like, yeah, this is not a good football team. What do you think today? Hey, Tony, the last time the Colts won a home opener, we're going to celebrate the anniversary today. Back to 2013, they beat the Raiders. The quarterback, Terrell Pryor, who did not last in the NFL as a quarterback very long, but that was the last time the Colts won an opener. It's been that long ago. So we celebrate the anniversary. That's not very cool at all, now, is it? <laughs> no, it's not very cool, is it? It is not very cool. When you're looking at this game coming up on Sunday, uh, we'll start right here, Tony, because you asked me the question about the matchup itself. Um, the, the Colts are going to be uh, certainly overmatched. And you start with the offensive end of things here. As far as Jacksonville's concerned, you know, they had their best season offensively, especially through the air, that they ever saw a year ago with Christian Kirk. And uh, with uh, obviously um, uh, the 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 offense that Doug Peterson put together uh, as the head coach, you saw that kind of work. And then they added Calvin Ridley in this off season. Calvin Ridley, if you remember, was suspended for the season a year ago because of a gambling issue. He is back, and he is going to make this offense in Jacksonville more robust. So you might want to ask me, how can Colts hang in on Sunday? Well. They get this benefit. It's the first game of the season. I mean, there's no tape whatsoever on Anthony Richardson, so you can go on that. Uh, they are overmatched roster-wise, but where they do have an advantage, maybe the only place on the roster, Tony, they have an advantage is up front defensively, along that defensive line. So if you can put pressure, consistent pressure, on Trevor Lawrence, um, if you can get some good rush up the middle, do some things with what they have, you know, starting with Buckner and Stewart and hopefully Quiddy Pay and Dio Dangbo, then they can hang in and make a game of it. If they don't do that, their secondary, Tony, is going to be torched, and it could get ugly on Sunday. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, uh, through the concussion protocol, allow me to ask, is 
Never mind the skill set. When he's healthy, he has a skill set. The issue is being healthy. Is this the guy of 2019, I believe it was? Or or, or can or should we start accepting the fact that, man, it's a guy who really could have been, but the injuries prevented him from being, and now we should talk about what has been? Hey, Tony, there's a couple layers of this, too. One, I think everybody's just going to be happy to see him back out there, whether or not coming off this concussion protocol, he's on the pitch count, we'll find out. I think it's going to be really hard if he finds a groove on Sunday, you know, for anybody coaching-wise to tell him, well, go ahead and come out. We're going to keep you on a a pitch count of sorts. But here's the layer I'm talking about. It's one thing for him to return. And it's one thing for him, for example, to look like Zaire Franklin did a year ago. Zaire Franklin stepped up, had a really good year. But the expectation with the contract he has and what the Colts thought they were getting would be the type of guy that you mentioned the year before last. And that was a turnover-causing machine. If you remember, basically up until the last two weeks of the season, you saw the Colts. I mean, you felt good about the Colts. You started to feel good about them defensively. Um, and, And this is what's funny. Without Shaquille Leonard turning the football over time and time again as he did, that defense would have been awful. But because of what he did, that defense was elevated, and that's what we're looking for. See, it's not just, hey, he's back, and that's great, he just made a tackle, but it is being a consistent difference maker again. That's the question that I have, and he's probably reading a lot of things that have been said about him, highlighting that, using that as a motivational chip, but I don't think we're going to find this out. I asked yesterday a couple of different folks, in fact, you know, what's the timeline on this? What's the clock? Is it going to be a first week, first month, halfway through the season? We're probably not truly going to know and be able to evaluate Shaquille Leonard uh, reasonably until the end of the season. But that's what you look for. Not just a guy that makes the tackles and is out there and is being energized, but a guy that's making a different. It's been few and far between anybody defensively the Colts have had that have made a consistent difference Certainly not like he did the year before last. That's what you're going to be looking for. It's probably going to be Sunday. I don't expect it to be Sunday. It may not be, you know, really halfway through the season. But at some point, you want to see him hopefully be able to get back in that type of groove. And that's when I think we'll all be able to more easily answer that question, whether or not he's going to turn out to be what the Colts thought he was going to be when they gave him that contract extension. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana, uh, move over to the offensive uh, side of the ball. Anthony Richardson, his first start in the NFL. He didn't have many starts in, in college. Is there any situation in which Shane Steichen says, you know what, this isn't working, let's put Gardner in for the rest of the game and we'll get you back in for another game. You need some more practice, kid. That'd be a mess. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see it. There's no, there's no reason to do it because, I mean, if you do it, that means you're just getting absolutely whipped, or that means you fear for his safety to a degree, or well, that me, means he's injured. Let me rephrase the question then. Is there anybody okay. who right now in the Colts organization who's saying, you know, maybe if we actually want to um, try and have a winning season, you go by what happened in the preseason, Gardner had a much better free preseason, put Gardner Minshew in and let Anthony Richardson learn. It's, he's, he's 20 years old. We got a lot of time with this guy. Uh, let's get him a little seasoning before we put him out there. That is not in any shape, form, or fashion what they're thinking. They're thinking they're going to clock their rookie and experienced quarterback in, 
And as long as it's reasonable to keep him out there, meaning, you know, some of the examples I gave as to why in the world he would he'd pull him out. But no, he's going to be in this thing for the long haul. They want him to take his lumps right now. They want to hopefully see him progress, mature, because there's a lot of things on the clock here as well. I mean, certainly, you know, the belief that they got the right guy for the long-term future, you're going to be looking for those little benchmarks over the course of the season. And believe me, you're going to have one outstanding play in about three plays where you face Palm and go, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? But you're looking for that type of growth. And this is going to be a two- to three-year window. And I, I know that that sounds terrible to Colts fans. I'm right there with you. I'm getting old. I want to see this team win one of these days, all right? I don't know how much more time I have around here to see if this team can turn around and win. So I'm with you wanting to expedite that particular process. But this is a progression of sorts. It's getting through this season, learning, hopefully getting better as you move along toward the end, and then starting to take a little bit of flight next year and then transform into, in year number three, what you believe him to be. I know that that sounds like a slow and incredibly unreasonable process, but it's also that for Chris Ballard. Uh, Chris Ballard got after six years, six years of zero results. He got that reboot. Same thing for him. You're going to show that what you're doing right now is making progress, even with a bad losing season. You're going to show there's more progress in year number two, and then you're going to be held accountable for year number three. People tell me all the time that's way too long of a window way too long of a time frame, but that's how they're going about their business. So they're not going to pull the plug unless something bad happens on Anthony Richardson in any form or fashion with expectations of having a better quarterback and winning potential with Gardner Minshew, as you talked about. And, and I have no problem with that. By the way, you don't know how much longer you have. I mean, that was a – dude. I don't know, man. Good I, Lord. I mean, You're yeah. a young man. I, I mean, a eat a salad. Things, I don't know what to tell you. Let me move off the Colts and let me get into some college. Let's start with Purdue at Virginia Tech. Uh, it was the loss to Fresno State last week, 39-35, which I, I say should have been a, a win. Virginia Tech is not Fresno State. Now, you know, I will say this. Fresno State's offense is probably better than Virginia Tech's. But, but Fresno State played at Ross Aid, and then Purdue has to go at noon coming up tomorrow to Blacksburg and play in a very difficult environment there. They played Metallica's Enter the Sandman. Well, that's a tradition. And Purdue just can't stop anybody right now defensively. Here's what I was told. This is kind of interesting. I saw Purdue as a team that just couldn't stop anybody when they wanted to, could not get a stop defensively. Others told me, hey, it's not so much that. They have the talent there. But the Ryan Walters, who's the head coach and who is the defensive angle guy in his first year at Purdue, that his defense is a little bit more um, robust, right? Something that's going to take a while for this team and these guys to gather. So watch them improve over the course of the season. What I saw in week number one is a team that can't stop any any pass plays and, and gave up chunk plays, especially third down chunk plays. That's going to get you in Blacksburg. And it may very well be the case. I mean, maybe they learn further down the road. The problem is, Tony, this is a very difficult schedule this season for Purdue for them to learn on the fly like that. They needed that Fresno win. They didn't get it. It's going to be tough in Blacksburg tomorrow to get that. you got Syracuse, who's a good team, coming up as well. Now, then you start the Big Ten season. In fact, if you look at forward – to produce schedule, it really doesn't ease up until you get in November. So they're either going to learn on the fly or they're also going to lose on the fly. And that's what makes last week so disappointing. They had opportunities, could not 
latch it down, and especially defensively, and gave up way too many third-down chunk plays. I just don't think that's going to go away coming up tomorrow against Virginia Tech. Let's bring it down to Bloomington. Indiana <laughs> State at Indiana. Don't get me wrong. This should be a, 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 a gimme, the game, uh, later on uh, today. Uh, you should at least be able to say at the end of this, Indiana gets in, in, in the win column. But Indiana's problems, man, um, uh, is 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 this just a, a bad uh, job recruiting? Is this on Coach Allen? Is this somewhere else within the organization? Is this just sometimes this is the way it, it, it works out? What's the real problem with IU football no, right now? Yeah. And uh, and and what is the expectation? What does Tom Allen need to do? A guy who was, uh, was the Big Ten Coach of the Year just a couple years ago, is he on any level of hot seat? Well, he would be if he didn't have an incredible buyout. And I think that buyout goes away after next year. So that's when his seat is going to be the hottest. But to answer your question, they don't have a quarterback. Now, they may find some common ground offensively and be able to do some things later on tonight against Indiana State. By the way, my Sycamores are getting paid $375,000 to make that trek down 46 to Bloomington. Um, so that's now, I guess, Kurt Mallory, the head coach, and a friend of mine won't have to mow the grass over there a great deal. Maybe somebody else can do that besides the football coach. So three hundred and seventy-five grand they are getting paid to go down there. And basically, IU's going to have to use them to try to tune up an offense that was an absolute disastrous mess last week. And I, I don't know if that's going to equate to, you know, good offenses down the road. They just don't have a quarterback as of right now. And I don't know if they're going to find a quarterback as of right now. I mean, even with success against Indiana State, which I'm assuredly they're going to have coming up later on tonight. And, and part of the disappointment in this, Tony, is their defense was so good against Ohio State. And maybe their defense can consistently be good, but it was so good last week against Ohio State, it had nothing to show for it. But the problem Tom is going to have here is he just, as of right now, unless something drastically changes between Jackson or Soresby, they just don't seem to be it. And whether or not you want to blame Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator, certainly you can. But most of that blame is going to go straight to the top, and that's to Tom Allen. And he is in a bad spot right now, but he's got a buyout. So in all likelihood, they're not going to make a major move like that. With wait, 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 but are you arguing that if the buyout year. wasn't there, they would get rid of him already? Oh, yeah. So that you're making yep. the argument that the that the quarterback issue, not having a quarterback, is Tom Allen's mm -hmm. fault. I mean, that's what you're saying. Well, I mean, it starts with him. I mean, it starts with him. No, no, I'm I'm saying Tony that you could. I mean, you could spread you know some of the the anti love around if you want. I mean, the offensive coordinator Walt Bell uh, did not cover himself in glory with the play calling last week, but it all ultimately comes back to your personnel, and then everything always goes back to your head coach. And, you know, you mentioned that year when we were going through COVID, that surprise year where Tom Allen and, and his team, you know, they had those upset wins on Penn State, what, Michigan. And, you know, they, they had so much momentum going there and everybody was all over LEO and everybody loved it. And that completely has fallen off. And IU, unfortunately, has now regressed back to where people remember them in the bad old days, which have been many in the past for IU football. And there's just no way to get around this. I mean, the next two years, Tom is trying to win games and save his job and really having no semblance of a quarterback situation. And that type of offense that we saw even against Ohio State uh, is not good for now. 
and for the future here. But it all stops at the feet of Tom Allen. He knows that. Everybody else does. And that's where we are. JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More to get to. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. have forgotten because there's so much going on with the election and so much going on with quote-unquote Bidenomics and so much going on with the southern border uh, that we're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine each and every day it seems. Every day there's another ask, every day there's another offer, every day there's a, a, a another push and yes Russia invaded Ukraine and we have people who believe that we have no business being there. We have people who believe that we have to vanquish Russia. We have Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate, worried about the Russia-China alliance. Well, is there such a thing? Or is it just China controlling Russia? And then there's North Korea who's been doing their own missile testing. I mean, there's a fair amount going on outside of what we're told are the only things we're allowed to talk about. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Major Mike Lyons joins us. Retired United States Army, West Point guy, military analyst. And and first, just as, as an overall, what is going on with Ukraine? Russian uh, uh, offensive. Ukraine's been countering conversations of how Ukraine has a chance to put this thing away. Other people saying you're mad if you think that Ukraine can put this away. Russia keeps throwing troops at this. We'll keep throwing whatever money they can at this. What's happening right now? What's the latest? So, Tony, after about 30 days since we probably last talked about this, um, there's no change in the situation on the ground with regard to their counteroffensive. And that has got to do with the same things we talked about back then were about uh, no air support. They just don't have the level of combined arms that exists in order for them to be successful in the counteroffensive. And then and then you roll over the fact that Russia has now learned there's reports on the ground that they're moving troops differently. They are uh, putting command and control headquarters well underground uh, and, and protecting them. So Russia is doing things in order to be more successful themselves. You know, the biggest thing about this whole war is all military analysts, myself included in this, we project how we would fight this. We project how NATO would fight. We project uh, mobile armored you know, combat warfare at, at, that's third dimensional, that includes command and control and cyber, every single aspect. And just that's not this war. This war is World War One and, and a dash of World War Two. It's it's still being fought, you know, very much, you know, conventionally like it was fought back then. Not one side having the, the great uh, advantage from a technology perspective. Uh, you look at the latest aid packages that the president sent to Ukraine. It's got artillery rounds again. I mean, we can't give enough artillery rounds to them. So, so that's really what's what's happening. You can we can sit there and, and cavil about places like Robotine and 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 Zaporizhia and areas where they think they've gained four or five miles on the ground, but until they actually punch through and make 20, 40, 60 miles uh, in a breakout. The Ukrainian military just can't can't be claiming any kind of success here. So when you talk about World War One, I, I mean, you're talking about a trench warfare kind of situation. Is that right. what it feels like? I mean, they're just there on their lines, and you move five feet this way, you move two feet that way, and and nobody has gained an inch. 
That's right, and that's what's happened because the, the Russians have created this new tactic. They just they, they take over a situa- an area and they mine themselves in. We were kind of laughing about that amongst other analysts. We, you know, it, you'd never heard of that before, but they take over this the spot. They dig trenches and they literally mine the place around them. And, and, and in some cases, we've seen that they haven't given themselves a chance to, to escape. Now, I don't I don't think they have the you know the burn the boats mentality. They're not you know they're not there to necessarily die in place. But I just think that's because of more ignorance. But um, the, if you look at satellite shots, the, the level of detail of their trenches as well as their minefields is pretty sophisticated. And it's uh, n- not high tech. It didn't take a lot to do it. It's just a matter of making sure that uh, the Ukrainian military can't pop through. You know, we, we don't have uh, a lot of earth moving equipment that we're giving them. We're still trying to give them kinetic things. And, and, and because of that, uh, they're not able to, to breach these minefields, which are still pretty deadly. So. This becomes a war of attrition, right? A, mm-hmm. a, a war of exhaustion. Can the Russians exhaust the Ukrainians into saying, fine, just take the Donbass, leave us alone already? Is this the goal? Is it attrition to a specific goal? Or is Putin still in a place, even everything that happened with Prigozhin, is he still in a place to say no, no, no? Um, uh, you, you, you're all Nazis, which he has said numerous times, and others have said, and uh, and you have to be uh, destroyed uh, uh, in toto. Yeah, if you look at the history of Russia, they just don't. That's not how they roll. They don't go in that direction. They're not going to just stop and and try to negotiate something at this point. They they're all in, and I don't see them not remaining in that spot. It's Ukraine that has got to decide what they want to do, if they're willing to give up some of their land to Russia. It's similar to the Middle East. You know, the Israelis have been trading peace for land for years. <clears throat> it's, it's similar to that. Um, and and in, in some ways, um, what the candidate Ramaswamy is talking about is, is true, whether or not Ukraine can accept that. And right now they can't. They, they're not willing to do that. They think they're going to get the, the, the Crimea back. They think they're going to get all that region back, areas that they've lost eight, ten years ago. So... Uh, both sides are still don't have, you know, from a strategic perspective, their strategic goals are not aligned with their tactical capabilities on both sides. I don't, you know, they're not vanquishing Russia. Russia's not leaving there. But in the same token, Russia is also not invading Ukraine any, any more than they're having right now. They're not, they're not doing anything else. And that's why we have the stalemate. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army military analyst, radio and television. Uh, let's talk about Vivek Ramaswamy, who, who said mm-hmm. that our, our biggest issue is the, the China-Russia alliance. And mm-hmm. he, he made it seem, whether it be in the debate or in other conversations, that what we need to do is be reaching out, if you will, to Russia and bring Russia to uh, the, the table. First, what is your take on the idea of a China-Russia alliance? Because that would make me think there's some level of equality there, and I just don't see where that's uh, in real life. Uh, and secondly, is there any world and in any way that Vladimir Putin, that Russia gets brought to a table with the United States to achieve some kind of peace between us, never mind what's going on with Ukraine. No, I don't think he's got a, a sense of reality there. I, I think his politics are realpolitik in that he wants to view the situation as it is on the ground and as it is in the world and not 
wishing it's going to act be a certain way. But, but as every day goes by, Russia becomes more and more of a client state of China. So that, that's what's really happening here. Russia is not close at all to you know, China in stature. And, um, and we're not flipping a switch to all of a sudden get along with Russia, given what we've done in Ukraine. So that's, th- those things are not happening either. I don't think we have to be afraid of that as well. Um, but we see the world, though, going back to this polarization of you know, China, North Korea, um, uh, Russia, uh, Iran, in the Middle East, and, and that's kind of where the world now is falling. The, the wild card is India, right? I mean, India is still buying co- commerce from Russia. They're still supporting their military operations in that regard. But uh, you know, with a billion people, the Indians have, uh, have a say in this. Um, and then everybody else on the other side, you know, the Japanese, all those Pacific Island countries, Australia, whatever, the United States, NATO. It, it's, it's, to me, it's very clear. I, I don't, we've got to figure out a way to deter China at this point and make them recognize that, you know, even if they decided to, to align themselves with China, it still wouldn't be enough to invade Taiwan or do something in the Pacific. So I, I, I think he's overblown that. And I, I think he's, you know, I don't, I don't want to call him this foreign policy novice as Nikki Haley has. Obviously, she sat in the United Nations. She's got a much better feel in her fingertips about where the world is, I think. But, um, but you know, he, he's, trying to, he's trying to at least put different ideas out there. Well, a different idea is different than a bad idea. Um, and certainly, as I have said and looked at it, there is no creating a peace with, with Russia. There's no creating a peace with Vladimir Putin. And you talk about it being a client state. We've discussed this before. It, it, could, it, could it already be said that China, in doing these exercises with Russia, for example, off the coast of Alaska, where they were uh, having, you know, we, we're, we're launching fighter jets to push them aside, these other things they've been doing uh, in, 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 in war drills, um, they're already taking Russia, if you will, like they've taken right. certain African nations by basically buying them out, putting in airports, and then controlling the airports, South American countries, uh, the same way. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, and the thing is, though, these, these combined military operations are really not combined, right? When, when the United States and NATO holds exercises, they're all about interoperability. They're all about making sure, you know, everyone's on the same radio frequency. They're all about making sure that um, everyone is aligned with the same vision, all these kinds of things that are much higher order in some ways than just military operations. Right? So you take a regular company, right? When a regular company decides to buy another company and bring them in, there's one or two things they can do. They can actually assimilate them into their culture. They can do all the things that go and make sure that they become part of it, and that's where they gain more leverage. Or they could just bolt them on and they still operate separately, uh, and they just, you know, in, in theory, from the company's perspective, they think they add power. Well, that's kind of what the Chinese and the Russians are all about. They're, they're not working together. They're just working side by side. And, 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 and that is always a much weaker way in order uh, to conduct military operations because that, that means there's seams. That means there's going to be um, gaps. That's, that means there's going to be ways to exploit that. So, so that's why, again, I think that that is very overrated. Just look at the, the language difficulty, the language barrier that there, the interoperability of equipment. They don't, they don't have the same equipment. They don't have the same thing. Who knows if they're, again, if they're on the same radio frequency, something as basic as that. So I think, I think that's why that is not as much of a concern from a military perspective as we think. But I, I guess, let me, let me go back and just a quick rephrase the question. At exactly when do you think China actually controls the actions of Russia? Is that something that's five years away or 50 years away? Uh, it's not going to be as long as Vladimir Putin is sitting in his seat. Um, it's going to have to be a Russian leader 
who actually accepts where the world is um, and is trying to avoid revolution that will take place inside of Russia. You know, all these countries have, besides from external security regarding you know, national security from each country's perspective, you've got to look at like energy security, you've got to look at food security. I mean, this is where China is still potentially, uh, you know, uh, it could explode. It's still a ticking time bomb. They, they have a, you know, historically, if they don't grow 6, 7, 8% a year, they have a revolution. And a billion people in revolution is just not, you know, there's not a lot of military that can do to kind of put that down. So, you know, they have all other kinds of forces that are acting on them. So, so to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't think it's as long as Putin is there because Putin thinks he can still control all those things, food security, internal security, uh, national security. He, he still thinks he has control over that. The question is when revolution, when it's something takes place from within in both of those countries, that's when I think we've got to be concerned. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army military analyst, North Korea has been saber-rattling. North Korea mm-hmm. has been doing missile tests. And this was Vice President Kamala Harris mm-hmm. uh, discussing Russia uh, reaching out to, to North Korea. Listen. I think it would be a huge mistake. The idea that they would be supplying uh, ammunition to that end it would be a huge mistake. I also believe very strongly that for both Russia and North Korea, this will further isolate them. It is very clear that Russia has clearly, they're very desperate. Russia is very, very desperate. So uh, two things. Uh, Number one, Mm -hmm. to the idea of what North Korea has been doing, uh, they're just looking for some food or some money, right? This is is the traditional stuff. Right. Um, Do you agree with the vice president's assessment that Russia is desperate? Yeah, and you get two bottom feeder countries now. Russia needs artillery ammunition, which North Korea has, um, and then Russia will do what it can and bring f- you know fuel back to North Korea. Um, but North Korea is, is going to continue to just be on that cusp of having the kind of things that threaten world security. You saw uh, lately they've produced now what they perceive to be a tactical nuclear submarine. Which, which would give them that kind of capability. So that's got to be something we've got to be concerned about. Um, you know, that from our nuclear triad, our subs are a, a very important part of it. Uh, if North Korea has the capability to sneak up uh, to the United States and fire a tactical nuke, definition of a tactical nuke means, you know, let's say 100 to 200 miles in range, right? Not, not an ICBM, not something that's coming from a different continent, not something that's going through the atmosphere. Um, if they could do something like that, you know, they won't necessarily destroy a city, but they can actually threaten it. And, and um, they're going to continue to do that. Uh, Russia, th- this is going to give both of them a little bit of life. The fact that Russia's got to go to North Korea to get artillery ammo is all, all you need to know. I mean, how, how bad the things are going for them in Ukraine. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Uh, before, before I let you go, and I appreciate you taking uh, the, 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 the time, we talked about Vivek Ramaswamy, we talked about uh, North Korea. Um, we have a recruitment issue in the military. Um, mm-hmm. In the end, is this recruitment issue about the Biden administration? Is this about who they're looking at and how? Is this a cultural issue with a degradation uh, in, the, in the minds of the American people regarding military service? Is this mm-hmm. about the military not upholding its own standard and being, we've talked about woke and things like that. As yeah. you see it and you talk to, to, to your people about it, what's right. the number one issue regarding recruitment? 
Yeah, a lot of forces acting on recruitment right now. I, and one of the things, though, is this, and that is the, the Army in particular. I'm, I'm familiar with the Army recruiting, right? The Army in particular knows what it's going to be successful in order for somebody to, to be a good soldier. And they have all of these tests and they have all of these gates and they have all of these indicators that can predict to predict that. Well, there's just so many people right now within the country that are disqualified because they don't, they can't get through those. So, so part of the problem is the population has shrunk of who's capable. And you would think, so uh, you'd be surprised, like any kind of prescription drugs that you took when you were a kid, if you were a kid and took Ritalin or you took Adderall, it took something to help you with hyperactivity, that's disqualifying by the time you become 18 and try to get in the army. You, you might be able to get a waiver for it. But so the army itself has hamstrung certain things. I, I think it's number one. Yeah, I, do, I definitely think that the army reflects society and is going to do whatever you know kind of is going on. Usually, if the job market's good, then army has a tough time recruiting. We can solve some of this problem uh, by we have all those immigrants and migrants here. I, I was in a unit that had a lot of uh, immigrants in it that had green cards, and and part of the issue was they ended up getting citizens out of it. If we really wanted to, we could go down to Texas and try to figure that out and come up with twenty thousand people. I'm sure that would help our military recruiting. But I, there's so many different forces acting on it, Tony. It's hard to say which it is. I, I think right now the Army's going to look internal and try to fix some of those gates it's put up to make sure that we only get a certain amount of people and give more people more latitude to, to try to join. Yeah, and I'm not sure recruiting at the border is the right way to go about it. Major Mike Lyons, <laughs> retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Counts. Because that news about uh, the indictments they were trying to push uh, there from Georgia, that news dropped. There are some things I didn't get to uh, today, and, and I feel bad about it. I hate when I can't get the stuff, which is weird because I do six hours of radio a day, and there's still stuff that I can't get to. I didn't get to the whole Liberty Safe conversation and how mad people are at Liberty Safe for providing codes to, to the FBI. Oh, yeah, here's how you get into one of our safes. Oh, you you have a warrant. Maybe you don't have a warrant. Maybe it's this letter from, from the national security letter. Maybe it's just a request. Yeah, we'll just give you the code, and that's it. And then there's questions of who now owns Liberty Safe and where their connections are. Is Liberty Safe, the safe company, Liberty, are they about to get the Bud Light treatment? And just like I said with Bud Light, time will tell. But it's weird that they have these codes to get in the back door anyway. It's a safe. Why should anybody have a code outside of you? We'll talk more about that next week. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Monday, everyone. Take care. Take care.